This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. What is good about you is not what worldly desires you have, the plenty that you are able to show. There are many people who have all of the things of this world that are hurting, broken, angry, hurting others, isolated and alone because of the decisions they've made. What we have in this life does not dictate how good we are. So why would we judge God based on what good He gives us according to the worldly pleasures? Is God good because of what He gives us with money, health, fame, authority? Is God good when we desire and long for worldly things and He answers it? You see, if God changed your life into what you view as good right now, would it look like worldly desires or heavenly blessings? If you were actually given the desires of your heart, would it serve you or would it serve others? Have y'all ever seen that movie, Bruce Almighty? He starts going through and answering all the prayer requests. He's given the authority of God to answer prayer requests, and he's like, oh, accept, uh, okay, accept. And all of a sudden, he just gets tired of reading all the mail that he receives for his prayer requests, and he just hits, you know, accept all, essentially. And every prayer request in the world's, uh, you know, answered. And I think, like, uh, you know, people who did the lottery got, like, one cent because it was split between everybody who prayed that they'd win the lottery. If your prayers were answered right now, would they be worldly desires or would they be heavenly blessings? You see, we face today a gospel that is being preached that is prosperity gospel that says that if uh, the gospel would promise worldly desires on earth, but yet the true gospel would say that if we have faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone, it promises heaven on earth, not worldly desires on earth. And we need to make sure we get this right because what we pray for ought not to be worldly desires, but heavenly blessings. Because what makes you great, what makes you a son of God, a daughter of the King, what makes you children that have been adopted by God the Father through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not what you have, but who you have. And if that is true, then why are we seeking from God the what rather than the who? You see, God is a good God who blesses His children, but the question is, what does He give His children? You see, Matthew 6, verse 32 and 33 says, For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. What will be provided for you? What do you need? What is God, the good Father, giving to His people? And we have to be careful here. My main point that I want you to walk away with is this, that our faith is not meant to accomplish our plans or fulfill our desires. Our faith is not meant to accomplish our plans or to fulfill our desires. Because the prosperity gospel that is preached around America today is is essentially saying that more faith would equal more of the American dream. 
More faith equals more of the American dream. The fame, the authority, the easy and simplicity of life, the wealth uh, that can be accrued throughout life. The American dream is promised to you based on how much faith you have. Because if you have more faith, it ought to be an easier life with better health and with more money, according to the prosperity gospel. But if that's not what makes you holy and faithful, why would God be granting you something that does not define you as His children? You see, prosperity according to Scripture is to know God and be known by God. Because the promise of God is better than the promises of this world. Because the gifts of God are better than the gifts of this world. And because the future with God is better than the present on earth without Him. There are many famous preachers right now preaching this prosperity gospel. It essentially began in the 1940s and 50s after World War II when this ideal was created for what God should be granting His people with on earth as they live and uh, understand His kingdom being uh, moved into earth. As heaven comes near to earth, what is heaven bringing into earth? And they start asking these questions and it ultimately arises in the 1970s and 80s through televangelists and radio hosts who are making uh, a substantial amount of money by preaching a gospel message that says if you give more money, you will receive more money. Now as televangelists get richer and as radio uh, speakers get richer, you have to ask the question then, uh, or at least there has to be a justification then, to why and how they have so much money. So what's the easiest justification? The more faithful you are to God, the more money He will give you. So you see televangelists and radio hosts saying, give more money and you'll get more money. Look at, they'll, they'll say, look at me. God's been faithful to me. And so all of a sudden, the gospel becomes prosperity-oriented rather than serving and loving and following after God and faithfulness to God. Because when we are given freedom, we often live in unfaithfulness. But because of Jesus Christ, who lived faithful, we now have freedom. See, that's how it has to work in the gospel, is that when humans are given freedom, we typically live in unfaithfulness. It's what the whole Old Testament is teaching. In Ezekiel, it tells us, follow God's statutes, ordinances, and laws, you'll have life. Don't follow God's statutes, ordinances, and laws, you'll have death. It's the clear picture throughout Ezekiel. Now, here's the problem. You take that out of context. You take Proverbs out of context, Deuteronomy and Leviticus 26. If you take all these things out of context, what you'll say is this. If you follow after God, you'll have life. And under life are all these different things of the prosperity gospel. But what if life is not the things of the prosperity gospel? What if life is the things of God's word? What if, what if life is dictated not by worldly pleasures in an American dream? What if life is dictated by God's word? And so Ezekiel, I think, is teaching us this, or, or Scripture tells us, it's teaching us uh, that we could not live in freedom faithfully. We, look, if, if the measure of what you receive on earth is dictated by your obedience to God then we're always going to wind up unfaithful and receiving hell on earth and the effects of hell on earth. Because Romans 3 is true. This is why Paul says, for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody can live up to the expectations that we receive. Nobody can obey the law perfectly. Nobody can do all these things. So if the measure of your faith dictates what you receive on earth, then we are all going to receive hell and its effects on earth. But... If what we receive on earth and for eternity is dictated by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, that's a whole nother story. 
And that's the story that we call the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ, that he lived a faithful life I could never live, died a faithful death I could never die, and faithfully rose from the dead because of the power of the Spirit to vindicate and raise up all those who would come and have faith in him. And that is you. And that is me. Not because of our own faithfulness, but because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. The way Paul would say it in the prosperity gospel is that, or how he would uh, write, and it really confronts the prosperity gospel, is that he says, I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. And any, in all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I'm able to do all things for him who strengthens me. Look, if Paul was in need, and sometimes in plenty, and if Paul was in hunger, and sometimes fed, if Paul had a lot, and sometimes a little, if Paul understood how to live faithful in the midst of that, and have joy and have strength in the midst of all these things, then are we going to just say that when Paul was hungry, he was unfaithful? Or when Paul was in need, he was unfaithful? Or when Paul had a little bit, he was unfaithful? No. Instead, he learned how to be faithful in plenty and in want, in need. He learned how to be faithful when he was, was, he, when he was hungry and when he was well fed. You see, our faith does not dictate whether or not we'll be fed or hungry. It dictates what we'll do in the midst of being fed or hungry. And our faith is in Jesus Christ, not in faith. You see, I want to teach my daughter. I hope, that you're, I hope you're similar to this in life. I want to teach my daughter how to go through difficult seasons in her life. I don't want to pull her away from every single difficulty. I've talked about this a little bit before, right? You don't want your kids to, be, uh, to not face anything tough, anything difficult. We want our kids to be overcomers, right? We want to be overcomers. We want to find victory in the midst of difficulties. Everyone's going to face difficulties. As long as you live uh, throughout your life, you're going to face pain. You're going to face suffering. You're going to face heartache. You are going to face difficult situations. The question is not if you're going to face these sufferings and these difficult things. The question is, are you going to have joy and strength in the midst of it? Are you going to overcome or are you going to be overcome by it? And I want my daughter, I want my son and my future child and my wife and myself. I want my family and my church and the world to be overcomers. I want us to find victory and strength and joy. But I also want this truth. I don't want, I don't want them to be overcomers and just proud of their own victories and strength and joy that they faced in, in, in the midst of it. I want them to know that their strength and their joy and their victory comes from the Lord. I want them to know where their source of strength comes from, where their source of joy comes from. And if we preach a gospel that is contrary to the gospel, what we'll say is, have joy when you have plenty. Be happy when you have your desires fulfilled. Be content when it's your plan that is being accomplished. But that's not the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Look at how Peter would say it. We're going to be in 1 Peter 3, verses 13 through 22. He writes... Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Look, verse 14 is clear. 
Even if you suffer, you are blessed. Even if you suffer on earth, you're blessed. Why? Because it's not our suffering that dictates whether or not we're joyful. It's not our suffering that dictates whether or not we're content. We can't let evil, wicked things in this world dictate who we are. Instead, we are in Christ Jesus, who pours out blessings and gifts into our hearts, biblical blessings, biblical gifts, and biblical fruits into our hearts and allow us to be content and to find joy and strength and victory in the midst of suffering. It's not our suffering that is our blessing. It's our joy and our strength and our victory in the midst of suffering that allows us to declare, I am blessed by God. If you ask me how I'm doing, I'm going to say, I am blessed. Why? Because sometimes things are difficult. Sometimes things are tough. Sometimes I'm in pain. But in the midst of all of it, I I remain blessed. I might be a day where I have a little bit less pain. Might be a day where I'm feeling a little bit more energized, got a little better sleep, right? But no matter what, I'm blessed. I'm blessed by God, and I know that I'm a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ alone. He has made me His child, and because of that, I can declare I am blessed. So I'm not blessed because everything's easy. I'm not blessed because I have fame or fortune. I'm not blessed because I have authority. I'm blessed because I have Jesus Christ. And when I face suffering, I know that I can go through it with joy and strength and victory and overcoming because He is the overcomer who showed me how to live a life of suffering while having joy and strength and victory and overcoming. Paul tells us this too, right? Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, it's ultimately suffering and affliction that winds up bringing hope because in the midst of our suffering and affliction, we have a hope that is bigger than a long life of health, wealth, and prosperity on earth. It's eternal life with God forever. And so maybe you are suffering today. Maybe you are frustrated today. Maybe you are hurting. Maybe you feel like relationships have been separated and you're just trying to figure all these different things out and you're just struggling. Maybe you don't have direction for your life or maybe you've taken a direction in your life that you're not sure if it's the right direction. No matter where you are in any of those uh, situations, it's not the situation that you are in that dictates who you are or that defines who you are. It's who's walking with you through it. It's the joy and the, the, the strength and the victory as you walk through it. As you face difficulties, you want to know who you're with, not what you face. I don't know if anybody was watching college football yesterday. I got to watch a couple minutes of a, a few different games. And at the end of a, one of the games, one of the guys said, he said, man, why did y'all play so hard? Your season's over. I mean, they lost like four games, so they're not going to the national championship, but they're a great team, right? And he's like, why, why are you so, you know, why are y'all playing so hard? And the dude said, he said, I'm playing for all the seniors who just want to go to a bowl game. Now, it's just football, y'all. But they faced adversity. They were playing a better team, Arkansas versus Ole Miss. Ole Miss was a better team. But they were facing a difficult situation, and they knew who was with them. Look, f- football's a game. It's a game in life. 
But when you face life, difficult moments in life, you may feel like the underdog. You may feel like your life's going astray. You may feel like you're experiencing so much pain, you'll never get out of it. Like you're experiencing the worst pain. Nobody else feels this kind of pain. All those things. You might be in that situation going like, I cannot keep moving forward. And all of a sudden you hear the prosperity gospel and you're like, Oof. if I had more faith, I'd have less pain. If I had more faith, I wouldn't be questioning these decisions. If I just had more faith, I'd have more wealth. I'd have the car I want to drive. I'd have the house I want to have. My, my kids would be better kids. If I just had more faith, we got, guys, if your faith dictates what you get, we're always going to fall up short. That's what Romans 3 tells us. It's not about your faith. It's about the faith of Jesus Christ. And therefore... It's not about what you want on earth and your worldly desires, but rather what Christ wants for you. You see, verse 17 tells us, it's better to suffer for doing good than to suffer for what is evil. Man, this is a hard truth, but I think it's a reality for our world. Doing good doesn't mean you won't suffer worldly things. Doing good doesn't mean you won't suffer worldly things. This is the truth. Like, this is what the prosperity gospel preaches. If you do more good, have more faith, then you won't suffer worldly things. That's not how it plays out. But when it does, and the prosperity gospel preachers keep preaching and keep ministering, what they'll tell you is, well, you just don't have enough faith. You just need to do a little bit more good. You just need to give a little bit more money. Man, that's not the gospel. Doing good doesn't mean you won't suffer worldly things. And doing bad doesn't mean you will suffer worldly things. Many of you probably know people who've lived throughout their life and they're in good health without pain, have great finances, and it seems like everything's going well in their life. And you're looking at them going, man, you've made terrible decisions. You've done awful things. You've hurt people around you. You've hurt your family. And yet it looks like in the world's eyes, everything is successful. And you're looking at it and you're going, how does this happen? Because doing bad things don't, doesn't often equal suffering worldly things. And we have to remember this because the object of our life is not to avoid suffering, it's to have joy in the midst of it. The object of our life is not to avoid uh, temptations, it's to have victory in it. If Jesus was tempted and was suffering, then we've got to figure out how to overcome temptation and to find joy and strength and victory in the midst of suffering. You can't avoid them. So we cling to these truths that in Christ you will be blessed with heavenly things. I can't promise you worldly things. Scripture does not promise you worldly things, but it does promise you heavenly things. Because If you struggle with anger right now, if you struggle with lust right now, if you struggle with gossip right now, if you struggle with lying right now, God's not just going to just pray for it and God's going to be like, man, I think, yeah, I want to give you more of that. You want to be more angry? You want more rage? Okay, here's more of it. Right? Like, you want more women, you're not content with the one that God's given you, or you want another, a different man, you're not content with the one that God's given you, you want all these different things, well, here, I'm just going to give it to you. Well, why would we think that applies for money? Why would we feel, think that applies to feeling free of pain and free of unhealth? We live in a broken world with broken things with sin around us. Don't ask God for sinful things. Ask God for Jesus, His Son, and a relationship with God the Father. Cling to Jesus because you will bless, be blessed with heavenly things. Because in Christ you will not be restricted from what God the Father is giving you. From wisdom to fruit to gifts. God is good and pours them out on His people. 
And you may say, well, man, I, I, I don't know, man. Like, should we suffer on earth? Like, that doesn't seem like, that's not really a good model for a religion, Matt. Like, come follow Jesus, you'll suffer. <laughs> Just, no, 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 you're going to suffer. Follow Jesus in the midst of it. Why? He's the greatest model for it. He's the greatest model for how to suffer and how to face temptation on earth. Verse 18 shows us this. Jesus went through all these different things. Look, the prosperity gospel changes the way that uh, who Jesus is and what he did on earth in order to be able to preach the prosperity gospel. They have to. Um, some of them are like, uh, I won't mention names. Uh, some of them believe in modalism. Jesus is uh, uh, just divine when he's on earth and then he goes up into heaven. He's divine there, but there's not like a spirit and a father at the same time. So so there's not Trinity. Uh, some of them believe that he becomes God throughout his time on earth. Uh, some of them believe that he was not really divine on earth. He was just human. Some of them believe that he was divine on earth and not human. But they'll point to things like this. Why would Jesus be tired? Why would he hurt? Why would he be hungry? Because he's human. Our fully God, fully man, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, sympathized. He understands everything you go through. He faced every temptation that, uh, that was necessary to fulfill faithfulness. He faced pain like you face it. He faced suffering like none of us will ever face it. And yet he overcame each one of them. And he had joy in the midst of it. He's the greatest model for how to have faith in the midst of suffering. So we on earth can try our best and we can pray our hardest and we can wish upon every single star and throw every penny inside of water wherever you can find it. But at the end of the day, you cannot avoid suffering. But what you can do is find God in the flesh who endured suffering and can show you how to do it too. Not only that, man, He gave you the Holy Spirit so that you could endure suffering. He poured out God's Spirit into your heart that you might cry out, Abba, Father, being a child of God, know that you can have the same joy that Christ had in the midst of suffering and temptation. Unbelievable. Like, that is the gospel. The prosperity gospel tries to get you out of suffering. The gospel teaches you how to have joy and victory in the midst of suffering. And look, if we're going to talk, let's talk about Jesus, man. There's nobody on earth, there's nobody on earth who believes in Jesus Christ has faith in Jesus Christ, who will ever experience the same kind of suffering that Jesus did. Think about this. You will never experience the pain of being separated from the Father. When Jesus on the cross cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When that tension arises and the Holy Spirit is grieving that moment with Christ on the cross bearing the sins of mankind upon himself, he took from you every single sin that you did. From far as from the east and from the west, from the beginning of your life to the end of your life, there's no division between you and God the Father. Jesus took it upon himself. That kind of suffering, that kind of pain, you'll never have to experience it. We can give God the glory for the victory in the midst of suffering on earth, and we can give God the glory for the victory in the, uh, from the separation between us and Him. So in all of this, we give God the glory for the, for the suffering we face, for the temptations we face on earth. We know that Christ went through them and endured them, had joy and victory over them. But we see, not only do we see examples in Jesus, we see examples in the rich young ruler, right? In Matthew 19, when Jesus tells him, uh, 
go sell all your possessions and give it away to the poor because that was his temptation, right? That was, that was the rich young ruler's sin was he was uh, addicted to money. Um, and so his sin uh, resp- needed a response, which was give away everything you own and follow Jesus. But what does the prosperity gospel do with that? Flips it. Follow after me and take up all these possessions. That's not the gospel. It's give away all your possessions and come follow after me. Now, you may, like I said, be engaged in anger. You may engage in gossip. You may be lying. You may be cheating. You may be uh, 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 struggling with lust. You may be struggling with hate. Whatever you're struggling, whatever you're struggling with right now, insert that in there and ask yourself the question, am I asking God that if I follow him, he'll give me those things? Like, God, if I follow you, will you make this part of my life longer, easier, more famous, with a better authority? So the rich and is told, sell your possessions and then follow after Jesus because faith and wealth aren't linked. Likewise, faith and health aren't linked. Jesus on the cross in John 19 tells uh, his mom and tells the disciples with him, take care of my mom. Why? Because Jesus is dying. He's suffering the worst uh, pain that anybody could ever experience, the Roman crucifixion. And as he suffers on the cross, it's not, um, it's not, man, Jesus, you must have been a terrible person. You must have done all these wrong things. You must not have enough faith. Think about how bold that would be for a prosperity gospel, let's just insert, prosperity gospel preacher to walk up to Jesus on the cross and say, you must not have had enough faith. Like, you were too poor when you were living. You didn't have food. You had to walk around and grab food off of other people's plants. Like, you couldn't provide a place to stay. You were even born in a place that wasn't even for lodging. Like, you were so poor that you couldn't do all these things. You must not have had enough faith, Jesus. Well, let's not flip that on its head and preach that as the gospel. Let's not tell people that if they have more faith, they'll have more money because Jesus on the cross didn't... It wasn't because he didn't have faith that he was on the cross. He was on the cross because he was being faithful. In Luke 9, Jesus tells his disciples, if you want to follow after me, you must take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow after me. Think about what that confronts with the prosperity gospel, because the prosperity gospel today tells you that if you have more faith, you'll be more famous. If you have more faith, you'll have more authority. If you have more faith, your life will be more simple. That's the American dream, and that's the American prosperity, and it's false. And so Jesus directly confronts it. You're not going to be famous if you follow after Jesus, and if you are, you're going to use it for his glory. You're not going to have worldly authority if you follow after Jesus, but we so often forget this truth. You might not have worldly authority, because uh, Mark chapter 10, when, when the James and John asked Jesus, hey, hey, who's going to sit at your right and your left? Like, raise us up, God. We want some fame and authority. Like, put us in the place that we should be at so we can uh, be better than the rest of the disciples. And the disciples hear him, and they're like, what are you doing, man? That's so ridiculous. And, and in that conversation, what does Jesus tell them to do? You better learn how to serve. You better learn how to humble yourself. It's not the, the greatest who are going to be out there leading. It's those who are considered the least of these. And so we look at uh, fame, and we look at worldly authority, and we, ha- we have to ask ourselves the question, are, is, is faith and worldly authority linked? No, but faith and spiritual authority are linked. Think about how amazing it is that Jesus, when he has all authority after he's raised from the dead, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. And he extends that authority out to his children, to his disciples, to you, to go. To proclaim the gospel, to release the captives and set them free. To proclaim forever forgiveness over sin. Man, what kind of, that's the kind of authority we have, but yet we so often give it away for the authority of the world. That's the prosperity gospel. Sometimes we let the prosperity gospel sneak into, into healthy churches that are preaching the gospel. 
So Jesus has a pretty lengthy sermon. Not as lengthy as most churches today have it. But in Matthew chapter 5, it begins. And here's what he starts with. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That's the gospel. Not blessed are the rich, though money's not the, not the enemy. It's the effects of it. It's not blessed are those who are happy. Happy are those who mourn. It's different. It's not blessed are those who are prideful. It's those who are humble that find blessing. And you may be sitting here today and you may be like, man, I don't understand that. What's the, di- what's, what's the big deal with prosperity gospel and the gospel? What, this doesn't sound like it, it's, a, it's a, you know, something we're fighting over. It sounds like, we, you know, why are we even preaching about this? Well, the danger of the prosperity gospel is this, that we would place, with the prosperity gospel, people place hope in the American dream and faith in faith. Because it makes the American dream the goal of the Christian walk. And it makes faith in faith rather than faith in Christ as the mechanism of salvation. If you believe that you will be saved based on the amount of faith that you have, you've made Christianity legalism again. You've reverted back, and it's like there's something you can do to save yourself. It's not faith in your faith. It's faith in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. It's faith in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. So the measure of your faith is not going to save you for heavenly things, and it's not going to save you for earthly things. But it's surely not going to save you for earthly things because the hope in the American dream is not our salvation. You see, if you want to align yourself to the gospel, then you might first have to disconnect the gospel from the American dream and discover God's vision for your life. If you want to align yourself to the true gospel, and this is the danger of the the prosperity gospel, you might have to disconnect the gospel from what it's been aligned to, which is the American dream, and discover God's vision for your life rather than your vision for your life that you ask God to fulfill in you. Now, I recognize that, and this is so critical, y'all. There's different generations in this room. I'm a millennial. There's some Gen Zs in here. And I know there's some other generations, right? I recognize I'm kind of part of the younger generation. And what, part of what our younger generation has done is because we're so distant from times where justice, liberty, equity, and democracy were, uh, were, were kind of something we were working towards, fighting for, because that's kind of distant from us. Watch what happens. When freedom is secure, we long for something else. When freedom is secured, we're able to hope and desire something else. If freedom is not secure, that becomes what you hope for. If you're enslaved to something like sin or like work or, or people or, or, whatever, or to a nation or whatever it may be, like the Israelites in Egypt or whatever situation it is where you don't have freedom, what do you long for? You long for freedom. And rightly so. But once freedom is secured, now we move on to something else. So the question is, what has the American dream moved on to? And the American dream in the younger generation has shifted from uh, uh, um, liberty and justice and equality and democracy to a long life, easy life, and plentiful life. And that plentiful life contains within it wealth, fame, and authority. And so all of a sudden, the American dream is no longer what, and I, and I want to communicate this accurately, hopefully, is what the, the older generation fought for, literally died for, uh, in World War II and World War I and many other wars, and with the nation and with freeing people, which is good and just and hopefully was righteous and what should have been done. 
But now we long for different things. We long for a long life that's free of pain. We long for an easy life that's free of hard work. We, we want that easy life to contain riches and blessings of wealth, fame, and authority. But that's not God's vision for your life. So we have got to disconnect the gospel from the American dream because the American dream has shifted and disconnected from what it once was. Rather than a long life on earth free of pain, God longs for an eternal life with you forever. Rather than an easy life on earth, God called you to work hard, find victory over suffering, and satisfaction in being in Him, not in being disconnected from reality and separated from anything that is difficult in this world. You cannot find simplicity and plenty, and yet it is what our generation longs for. That's not the gospel. And so we have to disconnect it from a life of plenty and connect it back to what the gospel originally was, which is a life of plenty that is defined by Scripture. So it's loving God and loving people. It's being gifted with a spiritual gift to bless the world, not simply keep it within and become prideful and selfish, but using what God gives you to bless the world. It's being fruitful and having the, uh, the capacity to love like Christ and the emotions to love like Christ and the personality to love like Christ. It's being who God has called you to be so that you can draw people into love and to justice and, and equality and, and care and freedom like God has ordained for his world to be and he's using you to accomplish in the world and God's vision for you shifts from a long life free of pain and easy life free of difficulty and a plentiful life of wealth fame and authority to a life that is full of eternal life loving God loving people and being a blessing to the world because that's what God God's called you to do so it's not wrong for Christians to have hope for better things on earth, for freedom, justice, equality, and for good things for each other. But it, and it's not wrong for you to strive for what is best for your family. What's wrong is when we go, okay, let's find freedom and then faithfulness. No, it's faithfulness and then freedom. It took Christ being faithful to lead us to freedom. And so in this life, we don't desire just freedom. We don't desire just wealth, health, prosperity. We desire faithfulness. And in God's grace, maybe that will lead us to freedom. So as brothers and sisters in Christ, faith doesn't gain us the American dream unless the American dream is God's vision. And it is difficult to make a nation's dream the same as God's vision. And we're going to talk about that in two weeks. We saw the example in Rome in the 500s to 1500s, it didn't work. It's extremely difficult to make this happen. So what I'm asking you to do is disconnect yourself from the American dream and from the uh, prosperity gospel and to align yourself to God's word first. Let's see what God's word has for your life. You know, see, the, you know what the problem is with dreams? Dreams are something that doesn't take place. Dreams, dreams are something you think about. A vision is something that God has for your life. And the beauty of a vision versus a dream is that if God has a vision for your life and if He's sovereign and good and holy and righteous and strong enough to see it come to fruition, then I can trust that God's vision for my life is going to happen. You see, my vision for a long life full of, uh, uh, free of pain is not going to take place. But God's vision for my life with eternal life with Him, that's going to take place. You want to have hope, don't hope in worldly things because they'll fail you. If you want to have hope, hope in heavenly things because they're going to happen. Because my God is much better at making things happen than I am. 
So this week, I want to challenge you to make sure that we don't use our faith or Jesus to accomplish our plans rather than God's plans, or to get our desires rather than God's desires. My prayer for you is that God would transform your desires, and my prayer for you is that God would transform the direction of your life, that your faith and the measure of your faith will not dictate what desires you have and what plan you have, but rather Christ will dictate your desires and your plan. And in His grace and infinite wisdom that He would pour out a new passion in your heart, a new desire in your heart, and a new plan for the direction that He has for your life. And so my gospel response for you this morning is to have faith in Jesus, not in Jesus accomplishing your plans. Have faith in Jesus, not in Jesus accomplishing your plans. Faith is not about you getting to accomplish your plans on earth. And faith is not about you having desires on this earth. Have faith in Jesus, who overcame desires and who followed God's plan not simply man's and worldly plans. Have faith in Jesus. My third gospel response for you as the band comes forward is this. As you envision God's plan, not the world's plan for your life, remember this, because man, this was, this was like really important for me when I was studying this and I was listening to some sermons uh, from, uh, if you can call them sermons, from some prosperity gospel preachers. And one thing I noted down, I was like, man, oh, wow, we could, we could get in danger here. When you think about envisioning glory for your life and envisioning what is good for your life, I want you to do this. It's, it's important for you. If you only live in hell, you'll only think of things that are terrible. But if you remind yourself that heaven is on earth and that it's through Christ that you now get to experience heaven coming to earth, that's why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we pray this prayer and kingdom comes and heaven comes to earth, we've got to remind ourselves that when we envision glory and when we envision what is better for our lives, it can't be dictated by worldly desires and worldly plans. We have to make sure that when we say, okay, I want, I want to see this come to fruition, that when we say I want, what we mean is Scripture tells us that this is what God has for us or God has revealed that this is what, where my life ought to go. So I'm going to put that on repeat in my mind that this, I want this to take place. Why? Because it's biblical. You got to be careful that what you put on repeat in your mind is not some prosperity gospel, American dream, mixture, combination for your life that God's not desiring for you. Right? And so I'm going to pray for us this morning, but I hope that in your life, as you wrestle with this prosperity gospel and wrestle with hope and all these different things, that you will settle into comfort knowing that there is hope for heaven, not hope for this world. That as it is lost and dying and decaying, don't just desire for the plans of the world and the desires of the world and the desires of your flesh. Because even if those things are given to you, you will not have joy and strength in this world. But when Christ, who is good and knows what you need and loves you, pours out gifts and spiritual fruit into your life, that's when you'll find joy and strength and victory and overcoming in the midst of suffering and temptation. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who lived the life I could not live by being faithful when I couldn't, who died on the cross to take my sin upon himself and who raised from the dead because death had overcome me. And so, God, we find victory in your son. We find joy to take upon the cross. We find joy on earth to bear the cross that on, in heaven we might bear a crown. And so, God, I pray that us as a church and myself first, that I will be content with what you give me. And I will be content to face what I face. But, God, would you give us strength to endure? Would you give us joy in the midst of it? 
Would you give us a victory and an overcoming that we might give you glory and praise and worship? And I pray, God, that you would break free any bondage in this room this morning. Because our faith cannot save us. Only you can save us. I pray that you, God, will save us this morning. I believe that you can. I'm confident you can, God. Would you heal this morning? Would you save this morning? Because you are a good God and you love us. So God, we love you and we believe in you as our own only Savior in this world. Cause us to desire what only you want us to desire. Cause us to follow a plan that only you have for us. And we'll trust you in the midst of it. We love you, God, in your son's name. Amen. Sweet. 
salvation poured out on the feet of Jesus, our affection, our devotion poured out on the feet of Jesus, our affection, our devotion poured out on the feet of Jesus, our affection, our devotion poured out on the feet of Jesus, we love you. church. Well, thank you again for being here. Rebecca, congratulations. Remember, baptism is the beginning of your discipleship journey, not the end. And church, we have committed to be a part of her discipleship journey. So I'd encourage you to encourage her and to walk with her and challenge her to continue to pursue after Jesus. We're glad uh, that you've made that decision, Rebecca. All right. Uh, remember, you're sent in the midst of darkness to light it up. Pray you have a great week. If you are planning on being in the business meeting, you can just take a seat. We'll stay right in here. The sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.